Join the Packet Pushers on December 13th for a live stream event on the future of DPUs and infrastructure sponsored by Dell Technologies. We'll talk about how DPUs accelerate workloads, what network engineers need to know about DPUs, operational and business benefits, and more. Sign up now for this free live stream at packetpushers.net slash livestream. Getting internet access from low Earth orbit satellites has great promise for addressing the digital divide, supporting disaster response, and creating new opportunities for communication. If you're curious about how these systems work as well as the technological and policy implications, download the free white paper, Perspectives on Low Earth Orbit Satellite Systems for Internet Access by the Internet Society. Just go to internetsociety.org packetpushers. That's internetsociety.org packetpushers. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. You can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with V6, well, we definitely want to hear about it. <laughs> That's what the show is all about. So uh, reach out, let us know. Uh, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host, Tom Caffeine and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be sort of perusing through some stuff with uh, DNS and talking around v6 and dns and, and and a couple of interesting things around that so i don't know who wants to kick it off i think when i first started to learn about ipv6 i was it was kind of eye-opening to me that i realized i could do a dns query over a, a quad a record query over ipv4 transport many years ago we had dns servers that only could communicate over ipv4 but you could still ask a resolver about, you know, to help you resolve a quad A. Right. But that uh, took place over IPv4 transport. And then I realized, oh, the opposite is true. You could have a V6 DNS server and over V6 transport, you could ask it about A or quad A record queries. And so just understanding that the the protocol, the the IP version that's being used for the underlying query traffic between a client and a resolver, whether it's that's TCP or UDP 53 is not can be different than the protocol that's being talked about inside that DNS communications. That was something I, I learned about a long time ago that I thought was really eye-opening. I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of cool. It's very meta. <laughs> well, yeah, very meta, exactly. It was like an early transition technology, basically, mm -hmm. to generate traffic over IPv6. So that was the, the big V6 valve that you would open and close would be whether or not there was a quad A record uh, actually established that pointed mm -hmm. to a resource like a host record that pointed to, uh, you know, a service or an application that you were trying to reach. But if you didn't put that in DNS, then there wouldn't obviously be any attempt to to get a session and have traffic flowing over IPv6. Well, in, in early days, we sort of assumed that v6 wasn't necessarily going to be transporting out to the public internet, even, right? When you're right. just doing initial testing, so you, <clears throat> you, you, there, there's some rationale behind that. And I guess that even leads into the, some of the work that you did, Tom, early on around, you know, IPv6 launch, launch day, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, World IPv6 day and World IPv6 launch. As soon as that quad A record exists and there's an attempt to connect over IPv6, then you run into that, that legacy problem, which has been dealt with with happy eyeballs now at this point. But, you know, that you had hosts that was like, hey, I got a link local address. Let me connect to this IPv6 website. And it's like, no, you're <laughs> right. not going, <laughs> you're not going you're not anywhere, going anywhere cause you guys, <laughs> Yeah, you just got a link local address. Good luck. Yeah, and then, you know, and then the browser has like a, you know, three minute timeout Bars. or something before it, yeah. before it falls back to V4. And, you know, meanwhile, you know, grandma's like the internet's closed, you know, I'll just come back tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> the internet's <that's>, closed. 
<laughs> so yeah, that was the whole, you know, like World IPv6 day, World IPv6 launch, at least day initially was like, hey, let's let's figure out how much of this brokenness actually exists by enabling these quad A records for primary domains for large content providers like Google and Yahoo. Yeah, and, maybe talk through that. How is that measurable for them? Like how, how I, I guess they're looking at traffic payloads. They know what their existing query traffics were and they know what how much traffic they expect to see. And, and then yeah, it, that, by doing this one, mm -hmm. one day, they could see whether things fell off a cliff or... <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and, the, and the, you know, there was always that, it was always the lack of data that made it so that made the, the marketing folks at, you know, Google or Yahoo or whoever, like Google, obviously right. they were way out in front in terms of getting V6, you know, really charging forward with V6, but they didn't want to go so far as to enable IPV6 on their primary domain, like google.com right. and then have all this jeopardize their revenue. Yeah. Potential brokenness. They, and so just really the, the purpose of it was to, for them to get a handle on how much brokenness there was okay. and whether or not you know, it was something that was, you know, incredibly impactful or, or something that could be just reasonably managed. And I think they right. determined that it was the latter. And then of course, mm -hmm. but that's setting aside all the additional infrastructure uh, upgrade and, you know, addition of IPv6 that happened uh, between the time of World IPv6 Day and World IPv6 launch, where it's like, okay, there's not that much brokenness and, you know, there's even less brokenness a year later, let's let's enable quality records for primary domains and leave them yeah. on for big content providers. Yeah, because there was ipv6.google.com mm -hmm. right then. And you can still Separate. ping that today, and you can still browse to ipv6.google.com cool. <laughs> today. Yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, because everyone was setting up alternate alternate uh, uh, fully qualified domain names for the v6-related resources because you know, that was, that was effectively, it didn't impact www.google.com or google.com exactly. because it didn't have a V6, you know, didn't have a V6 entity. You pointed them to a new named resource and all of us in the community sort of knew like, oh, well you do ipv6.google.com and you, you can get to a V6 resource for that. And it only had a quality record. But early on, Google even had a permit deny scenario uh, list uh, using more modern terminology than what they used for it <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or more PC, I guess. But uh, yeah. where basically if you, if you didn't have an address that was, was permitted to actually do the query, it wouldn't respond back with a quad A record, right? You had to be on their permitted list mm -hmm. to actually query for those particular A <laughs> records uh, that they provided to, to prevent breakage, I guess. Right, I, right. Yeah, nothing scales quite so in. well as a uh, an internet-wide uh, deny uh, or permit. Or, or, <laughs> deny or allow, allow, allow no one list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, big Etsy hosts. You got to go in and modify the global Etsy host file, buddy. <laughs> and use and use yellow pages. <laughs> That's right. Well, but that's that gives some background on on the early days around some of the misbehavior that we we sort of were dealing with, right? Because we we really didn't well, we didn't have happy eyeballs for some some mechanism within the OS to to fail quickly from one protocol to the other, either direction, whether yeah. you know V4 yeah, and, was working and, or whether V6 was working, right? Had there been a happy eyeballs already in place, then there wouldn't have there would have been no need for uh, the World IPv6 Day or World IPv6 launch. Those those clients, those hosts that thought they had IPv6 but really didn't. You know, they would have made that connection over V4 right. uh, very quickly and then would have, you know, the choice would be made for them essentially. Um, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, this this post happy eyeballs universe that we that we joyfully live in, of course, and that then that leads to the idea that, you know, maybe there's additional tweaks going forward. And I think it was a Cloudflare that proposed to the combining of the mm -hmm. A and quad A record as, as a DNS record type, maybe as, as something to, uh, you know, an optimization. Yeah, that's that's one of the things of maybe not having to ask twice for the same info sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right, exactly. In terms, of, in terms of optimizing, you get both a, an A and a quiet A record back in a single query as opposed to querying once for an A record and querying again for a quiet A record. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, that didn't yeah. seem to go anywhere though. Uh, I don't know if it actually made it through and got pushed through on the IETF side or whether it's yeah. in the fence. Seems like there's a lot of stuff that's sort of sitting on the on the wayside on the on the ITF side. Yeah, and I guess is that just a case of things are are working well enough as we uh, <clears throat> as we you know especially on the the service provider side and, and the the content provider side. Yeah, I don't know if it how many folks does it really impact to yeah. do a combined record versus two queries. I mean, I, I guess optimizing on streaming services would have a much bigger impact on the total traffic on the backbone of the internet than yeah. worrying about the DNS record types, I guess, is sort of my yeah. feeling, but maybe that's just me. I mean, I, there could be other reasons uh, for optimizing that way that, that could make a lot of sense. Uh, maybe maybe even in terms of like signing, like if, if you're signing all your resource records, then I could see how that could optimize because you're not having to necessarily do that for multiples, but... You only do that once, and it's on the client then to, to you know, to validate it. So mm-hmm. you're only yeah. chewing up CPUs on the client side, <laughs> on yeah. the server it's, side. It's session. It's session state. It's mm, yeah. and then if we move to DOH DOT, then it's it's uh, more yeah. it's two TLS <laughs> sessions and the mm-hmm. cryptographic overhead that goes into creating a TLS. Just ask one question and a question mm-hmm. and then ask a quad a question in a second right. session you know that would be add to the dns resolvers load cpu load right that's fair uh, just anything you can speed up you know the more the faster you can make dns the faster you make all your applications work right uh, yeah if dns is the bottleneck everything's going to be slow for sure. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to have fast DNS name resolution and then figure out how your app or or the, the network stack is being slow uh, or you're just your backbone's too full. We're pausing the conversation for a quick word about the future of DPUs and IT infrastructure at the Packet Pushers live stream event on December 13th, 2022. DPUs or data processing units are special purpose hardware that run in servers to accelerate network security and storage functions. DPUs are creating new opportunities and challenges for distributed architectures. You can learn about DPUs and their impact on infrastructure and operations at our live stream event sponsored by Dell Technologies. The live stream features six technical sessions hosted by the Packet Pushers on topics including what network engineers need to know about DPUs, how Dell is integrating DPUs into hyper-converged infrastructure such as VxRail, and how VMware's Project Monterey brings a software environment to DPUs so you can run essential virtualization, storage, security, and networking services. Sign up for this free live event taking place via Zoom at packetpushers.net slash livestream. We'll see you on December 13th, 2022. And one more time, it's packetpushers.net slash livestream. And now back to the podcast. The natural question that comes out of that, are we seeing better performance out of V6 resolvers that actually results in faster application transactions? Yeah, Thousand Eyes did a study, I don't know how many years ago, about the performance. This was... Gosh, I think this was probably a while ago. This was, I think, back in 2018. Thousand Eyes mm-hmm. did a, a global DNS performance report that measured response times of all the root name servers. And they found that all the root name servers were faster over V6 than mm-hmm. V4. And then they also looked at, you know, services uh, as well. Um, and, you know, I've used tools like Namebench and DNS Diag, DNS Eval a little Python script, DNS mm-hmm. eval, where you can put in a whole bunch of different, you know, V4 and V6 
resolvers and figure out which one's the fastest from your perspective. And the V6, you know, the public V6 DNS services aren't always faster over V6. Like, you know, I've found that Google's public DNS servers are slower over V6 than they are over V4, but some are, are faster mm -hmm, over right. V6 or equivalent. Um, that, that could partially be due to the size and depth of their Anycast configuration mm -hmm. for V6 mm -hmm. versus V4. Like they probably have invested a little bit heavier in terms of the size and scope, the, the diameter of their, their Anycast service for the V4 side for DNS versus maybe V6 mm -hmm. could be a possibility. And I would say this that that might also impact the overall performance rating, the thousand I saw, because I think the overall diameter for V6 in terms of peering arrangements is smaller than it is for V4. So mm -hmm. less hops to go through, less transit providers to to navigate through. And it seems like DNS has become a more centralized resource versus in the old days, it was much more, you know, you you actually use the DNS servers of your service provider to actually right, to actually do name resolution. Yeah. And it seems like more and more folks are overriding that and going to Cloudflare or going to Google or going to, you know, uh, you know, whatever all nine service or <laughs> I forget who the heck is running that one. But it's funny you say that because I still can remember the IPv4 address of the very first ISP that I ever signed up, dial dial up ISP <laughs> I ever signed up with they're gonna the DNS server IP address will be like with me until I go to the grave. Yeah, I mean, that's that that's a whole thing, right? And then do you hurt yourself by putting in one of those global Anycast-related services versus something that may be only a single hop away from you from a DNS namespace resolution basis? Are you actually better off that way? Or do are you getting particular content filtering and services from them? Is it noticeable? You know, is it 20 milliseconds or is it 200 milliseconds? You know, at what point does it become really, really noticeable and onerous? Let's pause the conversation for a message from the Internet Society. You can now get internet access from space thanks to low Earth orbit or LEO satellites in companies such as Starlink and OneWeb. And in 2023, more companies are planning to launch hundreds, even thousands more satellites to support broadband services, including Amazon's Project Kuiper and Canada's Telesat. As these systems are being launched, now is the opportunity for all of us to help shape conversations and ensure that these LEO systems help build a bigger, stronger internet accessible to everyone. These LEO systems have great promise to help address the digital divide and connect the unconnected. Kids can learn online, people can connect with others, play games, stream movies, schools and libraries can connect and bring the internet to many people. LEO systems can also support emergency responders and help get critical internet access during natural disasters. So there are big opportunities on the horizon, but also questions. Will these systems be affordable to the people who need them most? Will they have the capacity to support all the people who want access? Will they support the open standards and internet technologies we care about? What policy issues do they raise? How do we ensure competition? What about the environment? The Internet Society, a global nonprofit advocating for an open and trusted internet, dives into these questions in a new paper, Perspectives on LEO Satellite Systems for Internet Access. You can download this paper for free and share it with others by going to internetsociety.org slash packetpushers. One more time, you can get the paper Perspectives on LEO Satellite Systems for Internet Access at internetsociety.org slash packetpushers. And now, back to the podcast. I, I guess that leads into the maybe the the another discussion point which is which dns name server should you point to <laughs> before v6 uh you know maybe if you're doing enterprise design and you're running your own internal dns name servers or you got an infobox grid or you got 
you know, Blue Cat or something else? Like, what, what does that stuff look like? And, and how do you think about enterprise design around, you know, maybe V6 only clients? Uh, what do you point them at? Uh, if, if, is it okay that a V6 only client actually gets an A record back? <laughs> like, what does that look like? Does that, does that mean anything? I don't know. Uh, I guess, I guess maybe that tells you, uh, that uh, the client still wants to connect on on v4 in some way or have an application on v4 some way or does it or does it tell you something different yeah know. maybe the helpful context there is is that you know there, there are really only sort of two designs in the enterprise the two architectures in the enterprise space uh, for for production you know corporate land where it's like you're it's probably if you've if you've thought about ipv6 all at all and you're trying to move in that direction it's, it's dual stack and so you know, you're, you're basically relying on that happy eyeballs mechanism to, to get the job done. Uh, if you're trying to move some or all of that, of your, your corporate land networks or data center networks to IPv6 only, then you, you have to consider what, you know, what you're going to use to be able to do that. And of course, DNS 64, NAT 64 is a commonly deployed solution in that environment. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, potentially server load balancing that you can use. And so it sort of depends on that. And then, you know, that's the big architectural discussion and decision. And then as far as what, you know, how you're going to optimize that, that just really depends on, on sort of which of the, the technologies you pick and how you've sort of mixed and matched them and what the, the critical applications are, et cetera. Yeah, that's fair enough. And then if you're, you're going to have that additional transition component of like using DNS 6.4, how do you how do you need to think about what clients you point to that versus pointing mm -hmm. them to IPv4 only DNS name servers or dual stack name servers or v6 only name servers? Like what is that design was? I I don't know. I guess we could just iterate through that and talk about it a little bit. I think if your organization's just near-term goal is just to get to dual stack, then you want DNS infrastructure to operate with both protocols and you want clients if they're dual stack to use whichever protocol fits, you know, we use V4 for V4 service servers and V6 to talk to v, V6 services. And so you want them to use whichever protocol matches, you know, the transport or matches the DNS and uh, response. And so, but as you strive for V6 only, then you want those V6 only clients to use DNS 6.4 and you only want the V. It's typical, typically recommended that you want the V six only clients to only be those clients that are going through that DNS six four service. They're the only ones that need that that DNS address synthesis Tr trickery right. to take right, place right. to the force them towards <laughs> the NAT six four uh, appliance or device. But if you made dual stack clients use DNS six four, then they would either use, you know, global unicast addresses and for in uh, direct IPv6 communications if it was a v6 service, or if it was a legacy v4 service, then they would end up doing DNS 6.4 and going through a NAT 6.4. Uh, and you may not want that, but the interesting side effect of that is then if you take those dual stack clients and you force them through, you know, v6 DNS or DNS 6.4 then anything that's left on the network that's using uh, traditional IPv4 communications are those things that are the legacy apps that may not uh, lend themselves well to being uh, accessed by a V6-only client. 
So they would be your V4 dependencies would be the, the precipitate what's left over, you know, at yeah, the end. The residue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the V4 residue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and, and, and there's also the, uh, the question of the resource that you're trying to access, where, where it is and whether or not you have control over the DNS record. Because for internal resources, obviously, you still have that ability to, you know, either configure a quad A record or not configure a quad A record to make that, that resource available over IPv6. If you're just going out to the internet and, you know, there's something on the internet, some SaaS service you're trying to reach or, you know, some website you just want to browse to kill time while you're not working and you should be. Um, you know, that that's twitter.com. So, you know. <laughs> well, right. And that's a, a good example, right? Cause it's IPv4 only. And you know, that, uh, in spite of all the recent turmoil, I don't, I don't see that changing. I, they, they haven't prioritized that to my chagrin and surprise. Well, most of the operations team isn't there to change it anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Even if they wanted to, <laughs> Even if they, they, wanted to. <laughs> they took all the IPv6 with them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting because one of the things with DNS is that you have to work as an, as a network operator, you have to work hand in hand with your DNS counterpart folks to be able to move this stuff forward. Yeah. Because if, 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 if they don't have a contextual understanding about how you want to migrate or change things, you're going to have a challenge because they're not supporting the right stuff that you need to do in your network. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's just an important thing. I mean, I know a lot of times we try and like, you know, maybe ignore some of our, our, our compatriots who are working in the operation side around, around other related issues, but I think it's going to, it goes without saying they, they need to be in the camp with you and, and, and working through these specific issues. And, and the reason this comes up more and more is, is things like, if you're running a Windows environment with Active Directory integrated DNS, right? You better be doing all the right things in like sites and services, sites and subnets <laughs> to, yeah. tell, to tell your clients where to go. And that's all relying on DNS to be able to make that stuff work. And, and, and you're not going to have a pleasant day if you like suddenly flatten your network out with like a V6 prefix and it thinks it's available everywhere in the same way, right? Yeah. We still reserve the right to blame DNS. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> it's always DNS. It's never, yeah. it's, it's never anything the network team does. Yeah, you know, V6 or V4, the DNS punching bag remains available. <laughs> it's, a, it's never the application, right? The application, <laughs> squeaky clean. Squeaky clean. It, it takes things in the right sorted ordered list <laughs> from the OS and uh, nothing overrides that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no yeah. bias or thumbs on the scale in terms of how DNS name resolution works ever. But we could always blame the firewall and eDNS there, although. <laughs> that's right. Uh, is that still a thing? I guess that's still a thing. <laughs> All right, you guys. I, th I think we covered most of what we wanted to chit chat about that. I mean, it's 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 quick, but you know, I still think it's super important for people to pay attention to in terms of like how they're thinking about DNS and IPv6 and how the two intersect uh, around around a bunch of these things. Yeah. So, and how the things. thinking has changed over the years. You know, we yeah. had common misbehavior of DNS queries a long time ago. Now we're in this dual stack phase and eventually we'll get to running maybe V6 only DNS servers at some point, you know, but your, your techniques will change as you move through this journey. Yeah. hundred percent. And don't well, leave cool. your resolvers open people, even over IPv6, <laughs> that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's too funny. Well, unlike V6, we run out of space for the podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter still, if it's still up, uh, at IPv6 Buzz. <laughs> and you can hit up myself and Scott on Twitter at Scott Hogue and at Ehorley. Tom's on LinkedIn. You can hit him at linkedin.com slash in slash Tom Coffeen. Uh, thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, it'd be great if you give us a rating on iTunes. Um, if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day to Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, and all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.